Now you may think that you've heard this sermon before um, because Brother Kevin Presley, who traveled with me when he was learning to preach, uh, he got this sermon off of me, but he told me he changed it up quite a bit. He calls his sermon, He is God. And that's about all the change I heard he made on it, but that's really all right with me. Uh, I don't care if he uh, got it and uses it. Um, maybe he can get something out of it. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the 139th Psalm. Now, I know some of y'all like to follow along. It'll be easy tonight because this is going to be the, the main body of our lesson, the 139th Psalm. So you can get ready for that if you want to. And we're going to talk a little bit about God. You know, I can't think of anything be better to start a gospel meeting than to start it talking about God, especially in this day and time that you and I live in, because for the most part, God has either been disregarded or else he just is denied in every way possible. People do not want to recognize the idea of God. I find that they've degraded God down to their own level. Uh, there are many who use the name of God only in vain. Uh, they swear and curse by the name of God, and they do not realize what they're doing. Uh, this is something that I hope that you and I understand better. In Leviticus, the 19th chapter, verse 12, the Old Testament writer said, You shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shall I profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. You know what the word profane means? It means to use irreverently or to use in a way that is disrespectful or in a way that is contempt contemptuous or the word means to pollute. But the worst one, and I saved that for the last one, the idea of profane simply means to make common. And I'm going to tell you all something. You dare not make God common. Uh, he is not like we are. And many people have reached the point that they think God is like they are or they're like God. And nothing could be further from the truth. I find that this is something, again, that a lot of people make sport of. You know, we got uh, so-called comedians on the television. And they stand and they joke and they ridicule the idea of God. I don't know about you. I know about me. I wouldn't even want to be standing next to those people uh, that ridicule the idea of God. But it's quite a common thing. I find that there are others who um, have disrespected God. Let me tell you a little personal story. One time, a long time ago, um, I was coming home from somewhere way in the middle of the night and I was listening to the radio. Now, there used to be a program on the radio and it came out of Del Rio, Texas. And the reason it did, the, the uh, uh, offices were over across the Red River, or the, uh, 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 the river between the United States and Mexico, the... Uh, uh, the name is Skippy right off the bat. But anyway, the, the uh, part of it was over in the United States, and the uh, other was over in the other, uh, Mexico. The reason for that was uh, they paid no attention to the laws. Uh, when it got dark, they could just blast everybody else off of the air. You couldn't hear anybody except Del Rio, Texas. And if you listened long enough, you could hear just about everything that you wanted to hear. And I was riding along one night, and there's um, a man came on, and I'd heard him before. He had people come on his program and uh, talk, and he'd allow the audience to call in and ask questions. And this particular night, I tuned in, and I finally kind of got a hold of what was going on. He had a woman on his program who ran a house of prostitution. And... Um, 
No, they were laughing it up and having a big time. And finally, somebody called in, and I'm sitting there thinking, how long is it going to be before somebody calls in and tells that man how he ought to be thinking about this? Sure enough, just in a little while, a woman called in, bless her heart, and she said um, to this woman, what do you think God thinks about the business you're in? And I thought, you know, that's really a good question. But just like that, I mean, she didn't miss a beat. She said, I don't care what God thinks about the business I'm in. He can tend to his business, and I'll tend to mine. Now, that was her attitude. And, you know, other people might not say that, but that's her attitude, too, because they've forgotten who God is. And then the one, and that's the one I'm to now, that caused me to begin to work on this lesson. I was studying with a young man, one of our preacher wannabes, and we were studying a particular verse of Scripture. And I uh, happened to look up at him at just the right time or just the wrong time, and he had his eyes roll back in his head. It was obvious that what we were talking about, he didn't believe it. This is not something he believed. And you know what? I had to maintain myself uh, uh, to have the Christian attitude toward this because I thought, you know, uh, this is something maybe he's ignorant about, but we'll get to it in a few minutes and I'll tell you what it was. So that's the way people think about God in our day and time, and we need to know better better than that. So I'm going to use these words I put up here on the board. Uh, five words to tell you who God is. You notice each one of these words begin with a little prefix, O-M-N-I. Now that's word omni, and omni just means all. In other words, whatever we're talking about God, He is all of it. And that's the important thing we want to emphasize. Let me begin right there with our first one. Uh, and we find in the 139th Psalm, and I'll read the first four verses. He says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sittings and mine uprisings. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all of my ways. For there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Now, what does he say? He begins to talk about God, and he tells us that God is omniscient. The word omniscient just means all-knowing. God knows everything. And he begins to describe some of these things. When I was working on this idea, I thought, you know, this must be something figurative. He said he knows my down-sittings. He knows my uprisings. There's bound to be some hidden meaning in that. So I looked and I looked and I read and I studied. And you know what I found out that means? He knows when you stand up. He knows when you sit down. He knows all the insignificant names about you. That's not some idea that is a, a figure for something else. He is simply telling us he knows all of these things. And if you begin to think about that, you're on the right track about understanding God because he knows everything the Bible allows us to understand. He goes on and he says, he understandeth my thoughts afar off. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't want to know what you're thinking. Uh, I would like to think that your mind is just wrapped on everything I'm saying. But whether it is or not, God knows the next thought that is right out here and ready to come into your mind. You haven't thought it yet. He knows our thoughts are far off, the Bible says. That's the kind of God that we're dealing with, whatever your thoughts are. And if you've gone fishing, I'll be all ready. He knows that. If there's something else you're thinking about, he knows that because he knows everything. goes on there and he says, uh, he compasses my path. Are you all familiar with a compass? A compass is an age-old instrument that is used to give direction. 
people sail the seas with compasses. Uh, basically, all a compass does, it has a little metal hand on it and a case or something like that. And this little metal hand uh, is attracted toward uh, due north. And it points toward north, magnetic north actually it is. And uh, they figured that if you know which way north is, you could figure out everything else. South, east, west. It directed people on their journeys. Well, I have people tell me on a regular basis, especially young people, and there's a good representation here tonight of young people. I've had them tell me, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what my purpose is. Well, if you feel that way, I can help you with that. If you will trust God and allow Him to compass your paths, He'll keep you going in the right direction. He'll do that for us. Uh, he can compass our paths, the Bible says. He is acquainted with all of our ways. So I find out that's the God that we're dealing with. By the way, when I tell you that God is acquainted with all of our ways, uh, is there any intimidation in you to tell you that God knows about you more than you know about yourself? We're dealing with a God who knows the real me. He knows the real you. Now, you know, we might, uh, we might be able to deceive each other. I might be able to put on hypocrisies and fronts and shams and all of those things. Uh, not God. He knows everything about me. Uh, it is something that I cannot use excuses uh, to, to misdirect God because He knows all that there is to know about us, what I'm doing, what I have done. You know, I know a brethren that think if they can do things that they shouldn't be doing and the brethren don't know, they're in the clear. Now, don't ever think that. You know, in reality, it doesn't make any difference if the brethren know or not. The one who needs to know knows already. And if you've got deep, dark, black secrets uh, that you've been keeping, uh, be assured God knows it. If you do things that you uh, shouldn't be doing, He knows it because that's the type of God that you and I are dealing with. He goes on to say that there is not a word in my tongue, but he knoweth it altogether. Now, I kind of take this one personal. And I want uh, uh, all you teachers and preachers in the audience, have you ever preached yourself into a corner? Uh, I have. Uh, you know, you, you're just hacking away at it, and all of a sudden you kind of run out to a dead end, and you don't know what you're going to say next. Now, Darlene's quick to remind me. She'll come around and say, you couldn't wait to hear what you had to say next, could you? And sometimes that's the way it was. I couldn't wait to hear it because I was struggling to get it. Now, whatever it was that I said next, God knew that already. He didn't have to struggle with it. He understood that already. Not a word on my tongue, but what he knows it altogether. You know, there's something else that, um, in the Bible, and this is for the purpose to allow you to understand the all-knowing of God. The Bible says in Matthew 10 at verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Is that important? Is it important that God knows the number of hairs on your head? You know, we've got men in the church that's got nice bushy heads of hair. We've got some that don't have as much hair. We've got a, a, some that just have a little halo of hair around her head. We've got some, in fact, we did have one brother who did not have a hair on his body. Not one. Does that make any difference? No, that's not the point. The point is, God knows how many hairs are on your head. Uh, regardless of whether you're a bushy head or you're one that's not so bushy headed he knows the number of hairs upon your head the reason that we have to understand that is he knows all that there is to know about us I have a little 
bottom line for each one of these points, and I'm at that place now, the bottom line. I'm going to read verse 6 out of our text. He says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. The psalmist says, you know, this is more than I can understand. It's high, I cannot attain unto it. Now, I find out the very God who knows everything about us. He is dealing with people that have gotten too smart to believe in Him. And that's a bad situation to find yourself in that condition. Think you're smart, uh, smarter than God even. Let's go again. We find next that there's something else about God. And uh, we'll just read it and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Going on to verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy, pres- from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I take my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Now you know what he says about God? God is omnipresent. Now you're onto this now, aren't you? He's everywhere. God is all present. Now, don't roll your eyes up in your head yet because I find that this is something which is difficult for us and the reason it's difficult for us is because we just occupy a very small space on this earth and yet we're dealing with a God who is everywhere. When I first began to think about this, um, I began to think about uh, uh, the concept of where God might be. You know, the Bible talks about three heavens. Uh, There's an atmosphere here around us. That's one. There's what we call the universe or the galaxy of stars out here. That's two. And then there's heaven where God lives. I believe that he's talking about the idea here of um, the second heaven, the universe. Uh, The universe is a vast, unbelievably vast area. I'll have to confess, when I went to school, I was a science major, but I didn't I wasn't interested in astronomy. I didn't care anything about it. I wasn't interested in stars and the moon and the sun and all that. So I sort of missed that. I went back when I began to look at this and studied a little bit about uh, what we call the universe. And it is quite an amazing thing to think about. Uh, the idea of outer space. You know what the, the scientists discovered a few years ago? Now when I went to school, they told us that Pluto was the furthest planet from the Earth. And that's, I believe that all these years. Well, that's not right, we've discovered. Out at Mount Palomar, California, where the world's largest telescope is, one dark night there were some scientists out there looking out with that telescope out into the heavens. And they've got that telescope screwed down just as tight as they can, and they're looking way out yonder. And you know what they saw? They saw another planet past Pluto. Oh, that's going to mess up everything I know about outer space. There's another planet past Pluto. And you know what they did? They tightened that thing down a little bit more and they looked out yonder and you know what they saw? They saw another planet past the planet past Pluto. And I'm convinced if they ever get a strong enough uh, uh, telescope and they're able to find it just the right time, there's no telling what they'll see out there. Because they're just at the beginning, what we call the universe. Now, I've said all that to get down to this point. If I could get out yonder one of them stars past Pluto, could I get away from God? No. He said, if I went off out into heaven, I couldn't get away from Him. 
wouldn't make any difference how far it was or where he was. There's no way that I could get away from him. Next, we find out that um, he begins to wax eloquent. Uh, he said, if I took the wings of the morning, you know what the wings of the morning are? Well, let me de demonstrate it for you. The wings of the morning, uh, I'll illustrate it like this. Suppose you're down on a lake around here some day, and I'm sure some of y'all have done this, right at the crack of dawn, and you're looking over at the eastern horizon, and the sun is just underneath the horizon. And all of a sudden, the sun just peeks over the realm of the earth. How does the light come across the earth? Does it do this? Oh, there it comes, there it comes, oh, 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 there it goes. Is that the way it does it? Suppose tonight we turned all the lights off in this room and got it pitch black in here. And I had a good strong flashlight and I'd stand here and I'd flip on that flashlight. How does the light go across the earth, or go across this room? It, that, that I'll, that I'll, I'll splash on the wall? No, it doesn't do that. It just gets light. That's the wings of the morning. And the psalmist said, if I could take the wings of the morning, I couldn't get away from God. You know why? Light travels at the rate of 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles a second. That's why it just hits the wall. That's why it just comes immediately over the earth. If I could take up and travel at that speed, I couldn't get away from God. And I want to notice something about this. The Bible says God is there. He's there. Uh, it does not say or it does not tell us David didn't write this down at all because this is not the case. His influence is there. You know, as people try to get away with undo everything in the Bible that has anything to do with God, he doesn't say his influence is there. Uh, well, his word, his word is there. That's not what he's talking about. The Bible says he is there. Now this is the place where the young preacher rolled his eyes up at his head. We were studying Matthew chapter 18 verse 20. And here the verse says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, in my name means by my authority, there am I in the midst of them. And like I said, I looked at him and he was, he didn't believe that. Let me tell you all something tonight. Jesus Christ is here with us. We are gathered here by the authority of Jesus. He says where two or three are gathered together by my authority, there am I in the midst of them. Now, this is something, again, that we have to appreciate because it's something which um, scoffing, ridiculing, mocking man doesn't want to fess up to. You know the average human being occupies about three square feet if he compacted them. That'd be about that big. Depending on how big you were before they started and how hard they compacted you. But it, that's all about it is. Here we occupy about three square feet and we're dealing with a God who's everywhere. That's why that's hard for us. We, we do not want to give God credit for the fact that he is everywhere. Let's do this again. It's getting better, isn't it? Look at the next one. Verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hide not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. What are we talking about now? God is omni-all-visual. Omni-visual. He sees everything. God sees everything. And the first thing the psalmist says is, if it's dark, he sees me. If it's light, he sees me. 
dark, light, doesn't make any difference. God sees me. And that is something which, you know, when most of the crimes and the sins are done in our country, or in the world for that matter, it's done at night. You know why it's done at night. We have a difficult time seeing uh, each other at night. So the crimes are committed at night. You, you think night hinders God? It's just like day, the psalmist says. Uh, he is not one who is hindered by dark. Let's go a little more, and I'm going to add some more to this. Let's read on there at verse 15. He says, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the, of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book... All my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. That sounds like a riddle, doesn't it? You know what he says there? God saw me when I was nothing but the substance of a human being. He saw me and, uh, when I was conceived in my mother's womb. He said he saw me when I was curiously wrought. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I've learned to look up some Hebrew words. And you know what the idea of curiously wrought, wrought means? It means when I was woven or embroidered. Does that ring any bells for anybody? You know, we've learned some things in the last few years within my lifetime about how human beings get their start. They begin as a series of um, ribbons, best way I know to put it. These ribbons uh, are DNA, RNA. These ribbons come to make us up who we are. This RNA and DNA that uh, was a starting point for you. They decide how tall you're going to be, uh, what color eyes you're going to have, what color hair you're going to have, how smart you're going to be. And I believe hundreds of things yet we've not even uncovered. When I was curiously wrought, he said. And I'm going to mention something else while I'm right here. He says, he saw me and he wrote me down in his book. Y'all know there's a big debate on at when does a person become a human being? Is it at conception? Or is it when he is born? Or is it six months later? Or when does he become a human being? And I'm going to mention something now, sort of a sidebar. Uh, our country and our world is killing babies by the hundreds of thousands every day. And uh, we call it abortion. What are we going to do? Well, we got a child. We don't want it. It doesn't fit into our schedule. It's not something we planned on. So we're going to abort it. Now, I, don't, I hate the word abort, and I'm trying not to use it anymore because that adds too much glamour to it. You know what they're talking about? They're talking about a baby killing. That's what they're talking about. And these people who go along for this, that if you tell them, you know, you're killing a little boy. No, 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 no. Not a little boy. You're killing a little girl. No, we don't kill little girls. You're killing a baby. No, it's not a baby. You're killing a... What is it? And they'll spit this out like they're talking about a piece of dirt or a rock. They'll say it's a fetus. You know what a fetus is? A fetus is a baby. It's either a little boy, either a little boy or a little girl. That's what we're tearing out and flushing down the sink. And with no compunction whatsoever, the fact God saw them when they were conceived and wrote them down in his book. 
That's something which we need to think about. A few years ago, I believe it was um, in President Reagan's term, he appointed a fellow by the name of G. Edward Coop as uh, uh, the uh, physician or the, um, the one who was in charge of um, the, the doctors and all that in the United States. And uh, G. Edward Coop, Surgeon General, that's what I'm trying to think of, Surgeon General, uh, somebody was talking to him one time, and he said, I want to tell you something about a fetus. You know the difference in a fetus and adult? Just a little time. That's all. Just a little time. And that's what they're talking about right here. God saw me. He wrote me down when I was just the, the substance of a human being. He saw me from the very beginning. There is no debate about this. A person becomes a fetus at conception. And give him a little time, and he'll become an adult. If you look up here, I'll show you the way I understand God sees things. See the front of this pulpit, this corner, and this corner right here. I'm just going to use myself for an example. That's me. Here I am at this corner. That's when I was conceived in my mother's womb. Here I am at this corner. This is when I take my last breath in this earth, and my life's over. See that? That's the way God sees it, wants to. Now that's a pretty small subject when you're talking about me. Let's get on a grander scale. See this one over here? Uh, this is Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth and all things therein. See this one over here? This is Revelation. It's done. That's the way He sees it if He wants to. It's done. Start to finish. He sees it all, the Bible allows us to know, because he sees everything. Man, who can scarcely see off the end of his nose, is dealing with a God who sees everything. Again, look at this next one. This is my favorite one. See this next one right here? The word is omnific. Now, the reason this is my favorite, I preached this one time, and a, a little school teacher come by, uh, with the kind, you know, if you looked up the word school teacher, her pictured by it, a very prim and proper school teacher, which I, lo I love school teachers, by the way. I'm not, I'm not sloughing off on them. But she came by and she said, Joe, you made that omnific up. There's no such word as omnific. Now, I'll take credit for nearly anything. Uh, I said, well, I didn't make it up. Uh, when you get home tonight, get your Webster down and look that word up. I will. I sure will. The next night she come in and she was kind of sheepish and she come down when nobody was around me and she said, you're right, you're right, that is a word. You know what the word omnific means? It means all creating. God created everything. That's what it means. And I find out that this is something which he describes for us in the 14th verse, and we have to back up just a tad to get that verse. Uh, when he begins to talk about this subject, he says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. What does he say? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So are you. We're not like the rest of the creatures that God brought into existence. We're not like uh, inanimate objects like rocks and dirt and trees. We're not like uh, birds and uh, fishes and four-footed creatures and crawling things. We're not like them. When it came time for God to make man, he said, um, in my own words, let's make man special. Let's make him in our image and after our likeness. Let's give them dominion over all the earth. We were made special. 
And that's the way that we ought to consider the fact of what God did when he created man. You know, the human body is a miracle. Now, I have no disparity whatsoever with the medical profession. In fact, I've got five registered nurses in my family, and I don't dare call for do anything uh, obscene because I might get worked on for it. And I know we got a doctor right here, and I think he will agree with what I'm about to say. In spite of the fact of all of this, there's still more about the human body that we don't know than we do. I said it's a miracle. It is a miracle, and there's a lot of things about it that we're still working on. For instance, does it bother anybody here that a doctor might be working as an MD for 40 or 50 years, and he's still practicing medicine? Does that bother anybody? Well, it sort of bothers me. You know, you get sick, and you go see your doctor, and uh, he says, yeah, yeah, you're pretty bad, said um, I'm going to give you a prescription, and it's pretty expensive, but I think this will help you. Now, this prescription's uh, $89. Uh, I'll call this down to Walmart, and you stop and get it. Okay. You stop and get this high-dollar prescription. You take it for a week. At the end of the week, you're sicker than you were when you started. So you call the doctor this time, and you say, Hey, doc, I'm not any better. Uh, I need some help. And the doc says, yeah, okay. He said, uh, throw that in the trash and go back down there and I'll send you a $29 prescription this time and you take it. So you go get the $29 prescription, you take it for a week, and now you're really sick. You just thought you were sick before. You can't even hold up the telephone. So you get somebody to call. And they call and say, doctor, she's really sick or he's really sick. And the doc said, we got to do something. said, tell her to throw that, that medicine away and I'll call another one and you go get it for her. This is only nine dollars so you go get to nine dollar medicine you take it for a week at the end of the week you're well now you'd have probably been well anyway in three weeks but you well now you know what the doctor does the next time he sees you like you were at the beginning he'll give you the nine dollar medicine if it worked for this other person maybe it'll work for you now I understand that's oversimplification but that's the basic ideas. Doctors depend upon the human body for most of their wonders and miracles, and I'm glad they know how to do that. But I find this is something which God unlocks these principles for us whenever we have the opportunity to study and learn, and, and I'm all for that. But it is something that we need to realize we are learning this a little bit at a time. Um, I hate to tell you this, <clears throat> Several years ago, I was uh, hanging out with some of our younger preachers, and they all had computers. And they could uh, type in, and uh, the computer could bring up information. They could uh, put their sermons on the computers, and put verses in it, change it, move it around, and I, I thought that was great. I went home and told Darlene, I said, I got to have a computer. That's the way to go. Uh, I'm going to get me one. So, Brother Bill Curtis, I don't know if you all know him or not, he's a computer whiz. He lived at Norman at that time. And I called Bill and I said, Bill, I want a computer, but I need somebody to show me how to use it. He said, well, get you one and I'll come down there and help you. Well, he called me back in about a month, said, got your computer? I said, no, I'm waiting until they uh, 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 totally improve those things. I'm going to get the finished product. He said, there's no such thing. They'll never get it finished. You just have to jump in. So we jumped in. And I bought a computer. I even bought a special little desk for it. 
brought the little desk home, put it together, set the computer on it, plugged it in, and Darlene and I walked around it like two monkeys looking at the moon. We didn't even know what we had. We didn't know what to do with it. So we went to computer school, college, and uh, this lady that was teaching this, this particular class, she was really into it. She'd ask the computer something or put something in it, and she'd stand there and pat the machine. And she'd say, he's really working, isn't he? He really is working. He really was working. Uh, just with a little moaning and a groaning, the computer in a few minutes would come up with some of the most amazing stuff in the world. We were just blown away with that. But you know what? I got away from there, and I got to thinking, you know all that is is a, a hunk of junk. That piece of metal, I'm not going to let that outdo me. You know, that's just a, that's just a inanimate nothing. Uh, it's not greater than I am. And here's the reason I thought that. God gave us a brain. And your brain, and I don't care how insignificant you might think it is, is greater than any computer. And I'm going to illustrate it for you. I want to ask you all three questions, and I don't want you to wave your hands and be sure don't speak out. But think of the answer. Number one, what's your first name? Number two, uh, how's the weather outside? And number three, what state in the United States are we in? Anybody need any help? You don't need any help, do you? You got the answers about as quick as I could ask the questions. How did you do that? Well, it's simple. It's simple. We have a brain. We got a brain. You know, up here in your brain, there are some little electrodes that when you want to know something, they say everything you've ever learned is stored up there. You get older, it gets harder to get it up, but it's up there. And uh, you want to know something. And these little electrodes, they begin to fire off around your brain looking for the... Well, it's really not electrodes I learned. It's little chemical reactions. You've got these little chemical reactions up there in your brain, and when you want to know something, uh, these, these chemical reactions look it up for you. Can you all tell I don't know anything about the way the brain works? <laughs> not anything because of this. I have never been able to understand how you can store a thought in a piece of meat. Can you understand that? And that's what you got. A brain is gray, mushy material. Most of y'all have seen some kind of a brain. It is convoluted and all that stuff that you know is up there. How? That's the miracle of it. That's because of what God has done for us. He has given us a brain. And that is something which you and I can recognize as a miracle of his creative ability. The fact that he uh, installed a brain in human beings. You know, your brain, you can smell something, it causes a thought. You can hear something, it causes a thought. Uh, you can, it, just about anything can prompt some kind of response out of your brain. That's quite amazing, isn't it? Because God is all creating. And the psalmist says, marvelous are thy works. All creation. Genesis 1 at verse 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and earth and all things therein. He created them. You may have heard the story. There was two scientists that uh, met God one day. And they told God that they could make a man just like he did. And... Um, God said, well, go ahead. 
And so one of them reached down to get him a handful of dirt. And God said, hold it. Get your own dirt. You know what you do when you create something? You make something out of nothing. That's what you do. And the old man in all of his wisdoms never created one atom of anything. He's never given life to the simplest little one-cell creature. Because man's business is not creating. His business is not giving life. And for the benefit of you um, young people, sooner or later at school, if it's not already happened, somebody, somebody that you have great admiration for will tell you that they've created life. They've given something life. And usually they talk about what we call a clone. You know, I understand a few years ago, they started cloning. And the first uh, thing they cloned was a little sheep. They cloned it. Now, what did they do? Did they uh, bring that little sheep into existence and put life in it? No, they didn't. They can't do that. What they do when they clone, you've got to have a living cell. They took a cell out of a living sheep. They put that cell in a little Petri dish and nourished it. And with good luck, it grew into a sheep. They're doing puppies now, by the way. Uh, they got puppies they're cloning. Are they making puppies? No. They're taking cells from puppies or dogs and they're encouraging them to grow into puppies. Man cannot give life to anything. That's not his business. Uh, it is something which again uh, shows the creative ability of God. And I think that's something which you and I need to respect. God in six, now this is a whole other lesson, in six 24-hour days brought this earth into existence and everything with it. Six 24-hour days. God created all things as we understand them. The psalmist says, that's marvelous. I say that's marvelous. And that's something which you and I need to recognize. As we said, man in all of his worldly wisdom has never created one atom of anything. Man in all of his worldly wisdom has never given the simplest little creature a life. And he never will. That's what God does. Last of all for tonight, Psalms 139. We're going to read verse 17. Here's our, the last thought we'd like to talk about. <clears throat> he puts it like this. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Now this is the last one. This is the word omnipotent. What is God? He is all powerful. He is not just limited to knowing everything. He's not limited to being everywhere. He is not limited to seeing everything. He's not limited to creating everything. He is all powerful. Now, I want to emphasize that a minute. Uh, All-powerful uh, indicates what God is. Uh, it is something which I think we have a hard time with sometimes. I've been listening to our brethren pray. I mean, paying attention to them praying for a long time now. And it seems to me that our old brethren used to get down on their knees and pray to God Almighty. Almighty God. You know, Jesus, when he gave us the prayer of example, the disciples said, teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples. And Jesus begins by praising God. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is thy name. There's a lot of ways you can praise God. 
but don't forget that he's almighty God. Why is it hard, and if it's not for you, I'm not talking to you, why is it hard for us to say God almighty? Seems to be hard. You know why I think that is? Because we think we're pretty almighty ourselves. Almighty. That's what God is. Um, the sign of a person being almighty, Jesus teaches us this. And uh, uh, this happened over in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is here on earth in his personal ministry and is going along the way. And a centurion comes up to him. Now, uh, I wrote a commentary on the book of Acts for our brethren. And I got acquainted with a bunch of centurions. You know what a centurion is? It's a Roman captain who has charge over a hundred Roman soldiers. We get the word centurion from the same place we get century. And Jesus had one of these centurions come up to him. Now here's what I've discovered about centurions in general. Most of them are ethical men. Most of them have some morals about them. And that's the kind the Lord ran up on. This centurion came up to Jesus and he said, um, my servant is sick. Now I don't want you to come down to my house to see him. You don't have to do that. He said, you just give the commandment and my servant will be healed. He said, I myself am a man of authority. I tell my men to go, they go. I tell them to come, they come. Just give the word and my servant will be healed. You know what Jesus said? He said, I've not found so great a faith, no, not in all of Israel. Here's a pagan, friends. Here's a person who has recognized Jesus for who he is, which the Jews have missed. Here's one who recognizes his authority, which they've missed again. But this man knows who Jesus is, and he knows he's a man of authority. Just give the word. I think that's a wonderful thing. And Jesus says, I've not seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. That simply allows us to understand that what Jesus did was recognized by certain ones. You know, just give the word. That's a sign of true power. Just, you don't have to go. Just give the word. And here's what's happened. Uh, by God's word, heaven and earth and all things therein were created. By God's word, heaven and earth and all things therein are going to be destroyed. By God's word, kingdoms were raised on the earth. By God's word, kingdoms were destroyed off the earth. By God's word, men were raised from the dead. By God's word, men dropped dead. By God's word, bread fell out of the sky. By his word, fire rained out of heaven. By God's word, the earth that then was is drowned in a universal flood. By God's word, the earth that now is is held in store for fire. How's that? Just by his word. He is almighty. He is all powerful. God could reach down here right at this time and take this old ball of clay in his hands and crush it like an eggshell and throw it in the trash. But he hadn't done that yet. And this brings me to the last point. And this is a, the best one. This almighty God we've been talking about loves you so well. And he loves me so good that he gave the greatest prize of heaven so we could go and live with him forever. Now, I don't know why God wants to live with you. 
It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why he'd want to live with me. But he does. He does. And he's given us the opportunity to become children of his. Second Peter 3 verse 9 Peter says it like this, The Lord is not slack concerning, his, uh, concerning slackness as some men. He has long suffered usward, not when any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says he's not forgot. He's not forgot about his promise. He's just waiting. You know why the sun came up this morning? I do. To give this world one more day. If the sun comes up in the morning, you know what it'll be for? To give the world one more day. He doesn't desire that anybody die and be lost. He wants you to come and live with Him. That's who we're talking about. And that's who we've described here, I hope, for your benefit tonight. He is God Almighty. And don't forget that. I'm ready to close. Uh, do we have anybody here this evening that's never obeyed the gospel? Well, the sun came up for you this morning. Is he going to come up tomorrow? I don't know. He's been patient. Here's what you need to do. John 8 verse 24, Jesus said, Except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. He said in Luke the 13th chapter verse 3, I tell you, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He said in Matthew 10 at verse 32, If you'll confess me before men, I will confess.